0: Today's podcast is sponsored by DoIT. Reduce your cloud spend by improving your cloud efficiency with DoIT, an award-winning strategic partner of Google Cloud and AWS. Find out more at doit.com. That's D-O-I-T dot com. Hey, awesome human. Welcome to Day 2 Cloud. And today we're talking about... Well, infrastructure is code again. We're having another infrastructure discussion and how to do automation and how to get ready for it. Our guest is Sebastian Maniak, who's got a lot of experience as a consultant working with lots and lots and lots of companies that are facing this challenge. Ned, uh, what stuck out to you in this conversation? Well, what I really like is that we didn't jump right into the tools, right? We spent
1: some time talking about what needs to happen at an organization level at a team level at an individual level to get people prepared for this adoption of infrastructure as code and automation and i actually think that was the most valuable part of the entire conversation
0: it was uh, it, it was super important because uh, we got into some nuanced discussion about how your it shop needs to be organized in order to make infrastructure as code uh, successful and be able to automate successfully within your shop. And it, it took us in some places, some conversation that we hadn't had before, Ned, I, I felt, and, and uncovered some things that, uh, like what matters and what doesn't. It what didn't That part of the conversation did not go the way I thought. And then we did get into tools and tooling to, uh, to help you get going in your infrastructure as automation, to help you get into your infrastructure as code efforts uh, well. So please enjoy this conversation with Sebastian Manyak. Sebastian Magnac, welcome to Day2Cloud, your first ever appearance, and uh, tell the nice people out there who you are and what you do. Awesome. Yeah.
2: Thank you for having me. Um, yeah. My name is uh, Sebastian Magnac. I'm a consultant, advisor, and educator. Uh, I've been in the really networking and infrastructure automation space for probably around 10 years, working at various uh, enterprises, uh, value added resellers, uh, vendors, and uh, I do now, what I do now is uh consult and uh, help my clients uh, kind of build workflows through infrastructure as code or automation itself.
0: Uh, Yes, and that is going to be the thrust of our discussion today is how to prepare your infrastructure for automation. How do you work with infrastructure as code if you haven't quite made that leap yet, or maybe you're doing little bits and pieces of it, but you want to take the next step. That's what uh, what we want to get into, Seb. Before we get into the nuts and bolts, because I know you know a lot of like tooling and processes and workflow and how to make it go from uh, you know the infrastructure and hands-on perspective but there's a there's a human component that as we were on our planning call uh, discussing this, you brought up that scene pretty important. A lot of shops aren't ready for automation because they're not organized for it especially well. Uh, talk about that a little bit what, what career adjustments do people need to make what uh, what mindset do people that are used to doing things the old way what, what do they need to change so they can be successful in an automated world?
2: Yeah. What I find uh, to be really successful in an automated world is changing the mindset of what you want to achieve. I've worked with many big enterprises that want to orchestrate and automate. They want to jump into a tool or a product to solve a problem right away, but they don't understand really the basics and fundamentals of how to get there. They they don't understand how, where they're going to store their code, how they're going to organize it. How are these processes going to work with their existing change management processes? The journey really or that human factor is um, you have to prepare yourself that you're going to be learning new technologies that have different types of fundamentals than you logging into a networking device or some type of infrastructure and click opsing your way through it. Because in your home lab, it's easy to do. In an enterprise, in a large enterprise, a bank, a financial institution, there's checks and balances and governance that need to occur. So you have to really understand the fundamentals to get there before you pick a tool, be it you know Terraform Ansible or whatever tool you want. Let's understand the workflow that you want to achieve first for that
1: automation. I want to pick something out there that I think is super important. And you mentioned the enterprise level. Like you said, automating your home lab, easy. You're usually working with Greenfield. You're the only decision maker involved uh-huh. and you're in charge of the process. So you can do whatever you want. And I mean, I shouldn't speak because my home lab is a mess, but <laughs> for those who are a little more organized, maybe they've got it down. But when you're working with a big enterprise, like you said, they have a bunch of in-place processes, stakeholders who are involved in the decision making process. So if you want to introduce automation into that realm, you got to get your head around all the different folks that are involved in what is going to be automated in the first place. That's correct. You need to understand where their processes are, be it
2: uh, you need to educate them on how that's going to be beneficial to them from a business perspective and from a process perspective. Cause if I can tell a customer, Hey, I'm going to automate your, Uh, F5 uh, or your Palo Alto devices or deploy a Kubernetes cluster in in the cloud, um, that's great, cool, you can do it. But I have all these checks and balances ahead of time and I have 10 other teams that revolve around this product, the service and the enterprise. How are you going to communicate to that? How are you going to educate them um, that this is the new way or this is the better way of of doing
1: that? Uh, Yeah, as another example of that, when I was working for a university, we were running VMware, and we had DRS turned on, which meant that Mm -hmm. virtual machines would just, they just move around, man. It's cool. It's all good. But there were certain people, uh, grumpy old sysadmins, that did not want DRS enabled for their virtual machine because they wanted to be very deliberate around placement. Uh, Maybe it was a security concern, a compliance concern, what have you. And it really required me sitting down with that person and going through an extensive explanation of what was actually happening, when it was going to happen, and how that change or that automation wasn't going to break what they had in place. And even then, they were still a little hesitant. They're like, what about the MAC addresses? And I'm like, no, it's, it's fine. It, it all moves together. <laughs> yeah, the, the
2: People but, care about the the those things, the MAC address, the IP address. I'm like, it, it's okay. You don't need to worry about some of those things, but you have to Kind of educate those people and and, and help them uh, understand that entire workflow, not just writing a script or a bash file for one thing. It's an entire workflow um, that revolves around technology and processes. Um, and of course, change management. It's, it's super important in those big enterprises. You're not going to get rid of it. Um, I've tried as a consultant building tools and services that do all this event-driven architecture, event-driven networking where Um, you deploy an application then something gets triggered and it goes and every time I present it oh it's awesome it's great but what about my change management what about my governance what about if it breaks I need to have a manual process um, for this to happen so I have to understand those workflows um, and work inside that enterprise um, to kind of build that appropriately right before I even pick a tool
0: yeah well, with automation, the idea would be to get humans out of the process where we can. But again, from that governance perspective, there's a limit to that. There's only so much you can do. You still have to have humans in the loop on some level.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, correct. It's, it's uh, like what I mean from a process, like I don't need to type the same command 100 times. I can feed yeah. the system what I want it to do, which is a human thing. I can have other people review that I fed the system correctly, though you could have checks and balances in there to be deployed. But I don't need to type this one command a hundred times. I can have my process, my automation, my workflow, you know, grab that and do it, right? It's really like the big thing cloud was built on that we just use it.
0: Right. Well, you say event driven, and it makes Mm -hmm. it feel like, oh, something's going to happen in the infrastructure. This this event, and it's going to trigger this thing or a series of things to happen in my environment. And it's going to, you know, reconfigure this uh, server. It's going to stand up these EC2 instances or whatever it's going to do. And that's scary because I feel like I'm I'm losing control a bit.
2: That's correct, and that's scary for. Big enterprises and financial companies, I find banks and insurance companies, they find that scary right now. Still, when I talk to them, they're like, well, we can't spin it up yet. I'm like, well, why not? Well, we have to validate what happens if it breaks, what happens if it explodes. I'm like, well, we have to add those checks and balances, those workflows in front of that um, to validate it all. But it's still scary because it's the mindset of moving that towards an automated or infrastructure as code way, right?
0: Do you think the people that are bringing up the fears, uh, are they overblown fears? I mean, do we need to get to a point as IT practitioners where it's okay just to let some stuff happen? Because we're not handcrafting artisanal servers like back in the day.
2: I believe that, well, we have to not let stuff happen, but we have to move forward and ensure that these small steps towards automating are successful. If I take a look at how the application or server teams and and the platform teams or DevOps teams have been doing it, they can orchestrate and deploy apps through Git and through different methodologies super quickly. And when I look at the networking teams or the security teams, they still are doing things manually because they've failed the most amount of times. It's always the network, it's always the load balancer, it's always the firewall. And then it's always DNS.
0: Um, right? And the blast radius is huge on those <laughs> yeah. when they go bad too. It's, it's massive
2: because we also build infrastructures in a way that we're not isolating them. We have this one giant config. We don't know what's wrong sometimes in that environment. If we have a single load balancer that manages 20,000 apps, it goes down. Why does it go down? We have no idea. How do we back up? Let's just back up, reboot, restart. When we, move towards that notion of infrastructure as code, we can then really segment and understand that flow of traffic in the environment. And that will help us to not only migrate from on-prem to cloud or to another cloud or back to on-prem, but back to that workflow, help us understand that how this service communicates is this way. And if we have everything in code, we can document it, we can audit it, we can uh, log it, we can troubleshoot it super easily, especially if we kind of put into small instances of folders or code or however we want to kind of categorize it.
1: I, I think the biggest element in it is is something you've already mentioned, which is this idea that I've lost control. I'm no longer piloting the ship. Now something is doing it for me. And so I need to, uh, you know, if you're implementing an automation workflow, you need to build trust with those who are using the automation. And it's going to be a slow process. They're not going to trust the whole thing right away. And I guess I think the biggest boon you can give them is really good visibility into what the automation is doing and immediate feedback on when it's making changes, just, just so they know. And they, I feel like the the control piece is kind of an illusion all the time. Like you can issue a command at the command line and you think it did the thing. But it may not have actually done the thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. But at least you have that illusion of control because I ran the command. Automation sort of says, "No, you actually never had control." But now I can give you more visibility and feedback into what's happening.
2: And then that probably goes back to you know the executives and uh, um, the staff that can have KPIs to monitor and understand how things are going, uh, metrics and to really see how it's improving uh, their delivery um, of those services or applications, yeah.
1: Okay, so with all that in mind, do you think that existing IT shops need to reorganize themselves for infrastructure automation to work?
2: They don't need to reorganize, but they just need to be exposed to the power of what Git or GitOps can do for them maybe have a developer and I've seen this actually recently have a developer engineer kind of injected into that team that is behind or that the team that manages that technology is behind inject someone so they can learn from them um, on how they've done it on the platform team or on the, the server team or app team and educate them in the process. So I don't really think that other than you're going to build a platform team and then now they're in charge of networking and then you're going to have a fight because the server team doesn't want to manage certs on a load balancer and firewall rules anymore. And then it eventually goes back to one or two people on the team that just focus on, you know, maybe load balancing or networking. That's what I've seen happen many times. You reorg the team and all right, two people pick a technology and they go with it because they're the subject matter expert and then nothing really happens. So I think it's just exposing them to those processes or those technologies and the fundamentals of what automation can help them and their existing jobs and their processes This is the most important I find.
0: Today's sponsor, Do It, can help you with your cloud challenges. Maybe you want to maximize your cloud use while controlling your costs. Perhaps the issue is balancing resource utilization while delivering agile IT. Maybe you just can't get good support from your cloud partners. DoIt can help. An award-winning strategic partner of Google Cloud and AWS, DoIt works with over 3,000 customers to save them time and money. DoIt combines intelligent software with expert consultancy and unlimited support to deliver cloud at peak efficiency with ease. The DoIt team knows multi-cloud, cloud analytics, optimization, governance, Kubernetes, AI, and more. Work with DoIt to optimize your cloud investment so you can stay focused on business growth. Learn more at DoIt.com. That's D-O-I-T dot com. There's a lot of companies that advertise Mm -hmm. for DevOps engineers and they have a DevOps team and it's a separate thing that kind of stands apart from maybe the rest of operations and and from the Mm -hmm. development crew. They're, They're kind of in the middle and straddle the both both worlds but they but it is seem like a unique function have you you seen that become a thing and and or succeed
2: so are we talking about like in the networking space in the application space or
0: well just generally so if i'm Mm -hmm. an it shop and i've got all of those functions under me that you just named i've got to deploy applications yep there's a networking function involved sure there's some security that's going on there yep and we've got the uh you know the cloud infrastructure guys that are there too uh I mean, a lot of shops do organize along technological silos, but I've seen mm-hmm. other shops that try to, well, more like the platform idea, you know, platform yeah. engineering, where a lot of it gets to bundled into one thing. And yes, there's technological disciplines, but from a team, an organizational standpoint, a lot of these folks are working together on, on one team.
2: I, I have seen this. At a previous uh, role that I did as a consultant, Succeed, where they had a DevOps team and, and everybody followed the same process. Didn't matter what underlining technology it was. Um, they had to understand the workflow. They had to use uh, Git to store their source of truth. Didn't matter what product or what service it is. Um, and, and I've seen this in, in a big retail shop that has successfully done that. If I look at the financial systems that I mostly uh, work in, they're slowly getting into it. And uh, there is that lack of knowledge to move forward um, because they have um, very legacy products, services, and people that don't want to learn um, in those fields, I find. Or in, in the, that vertical of, uh, of clients that I deal with is in, in, in that bank space. Right, they want to move to it, but they have to hire consultants to get them to it. And if there's somebody that's willing to learn, that's a full timer, and take what the consultant has provided to them, then that team can be successful. And I've seen that happen. Um, but if there's nobody that's going to say, "Okay, uh, great," well, you know, Sebastian came in, gave us some Ansible code, some Terraform, some uh, Python scripts. Now I'm going to expand that um, and use it more um, to be successful. Um, that's what I'm trying to see more and more. I want to see more and more happening right now, yeah
0: mm. so, so maybe what maybe one more question on this, and we can we can put it to rest. Mm. You have seen shops that have gone more of the you know, DevOps or platform engineering route. they you said you had one retail shop that you you mentioned that had done this and was successful with it. when we're going to infrastructure automation and we're committing to that as an organization if we reorganize as a platform engineering team let's say uh is that gonna lead to better success or is it does it kind of not matter i can organize however and as long as everybody gets on board with the new processes and way of thinking about infrastructure and infrastructure automation we're going to be okay
2: i I believe that going this platform Team route is, I'm hoping it's going to be more successful than having these individual siloed teams. Because the worst case, uh, well, actually, the worst example of all these silos I've seen is that everybody does their own stuff. The networking team will write their own way of doing code. The security team will write their own way of doing code. The database team will do their own thing, Mm -hmm. Um, right? One team's using Kubernetes, one team's using Nomad uh, because it worked for them. There's no governing kind of person or team that says hey this is the mission statement or this is the objective of this team or the platform team let's move in march towards the same end goal that we're going to reduce all these tools that we have because you know every bank has a million tools they buy that don't use and let's identify our workflow which is a platform team right and move forward
0: can confirm every bank has lots of tools they've bought Damn. that uh, that they don't use. Yes, yeah, we've worked in that environment tools. for four yes. years for sure. Um, we had lots of tools that sat in the shelf did not. I like
2: get them. I got asked to build a tool that does something. I'm like, no, you guys already bought three of these tools. You don't need me to build another tool for this. You, I will not take this contract because I know <laughs> you have this tool that does this. Just implement it. You don't need me to write some code for this tool.
1: But, um, but Seb, so. this this time it's going to be different. This oh, time we're ready. It. To change. It's like uh, you see people who buy like a self-help book and then they buy another self-help book and then they buy another one. Keep thinking that they'll find the self-help book that finally lets them accomplish their goal. And the answer all along was it's you that needs to make the change, that needs to you know, uh, embrace what you want to do. It doesn't matter how many books you buy or how many tools you purchase to get to that automation nirvana. If you as the organization and the individual aren't ready to learn and change, the tools don't matter. That's right. Yeah. And you have to start small, build and pivot, build and pivot,
2: start small. And, you know, baby steps, baby step all the way to that elevator every time. Right.
1: Absolutely. And then the tools do start to matter. So let's talk about the tools, (laughs) at least a little bit. Um, Let's start with version control and infrastructure automation. Uh, What role does version control play? Can you do infrastructure automation without bringing version control in?
2: I I don't think you can succeed in infrastructure automation without some type of version control. You need to understand or you need an easy way to be able to look at your code and have the source of truth. If you're trying to orchestrate any infrastructure, you need to understand that source of truth on how it's built so then you can move forward and enhance it and add more things to it um you know using git GitHub um, and any flavor of those bitbucket git labs it really doesn't matter because they all have the same underlining fundamentals you can move from one product to another the fundamentals are there that We have a version control system that's going to track every change is made. And then you can even apply change management, all those controls on top of those products. It's there. So I I think you have to have it for any organization to be successful. Um,
1: Okay, so if we assume that version control for infrastructure automation is a given are there some general best practices or principles for how you should break up your code and store it in a repository or possibly, I don't know, like many repositories?
2: Well, like, I, I don't believe there is like a one size fits all answer. And I've seen many different uh, kind of best practices emerged over the years uh, that can come down to size and scale of the environment. Um, even the technologies used, the team members, the organization, how that's organized, And even the cost, Um, like I've seen, we can break it up into really uh, environment segmentations is is a very popular one I've seen where we break up the configuration based on a dev dev environment, a staging environment, a production environment. Um, Also separation by concerns, maybe a group configurations in a repo or a folder um, based on the concerns of the instances. For like, for example... Uh, network related configs or firewall related configs can be in their own folder and those in their own settings or database or um, Kubernetes clusters can be in their own uh, kind of separations of concern or even separations by services. Maybe this is a PCI service um, that is uh, needs more control and state over it, or maybe the database team has this, or maybe it's just a networking or load balancer, NLB format. So I find there's no one size fits all. It's about really choosing the right fit that provides you the needs and the scale of the team and the project, right? And we can go into over-segmenting too, that can happen, can be just as problematic as under-segmentation. So it's really crucial to strike a balance. And the most important part is when we move towards infrastructure as code, we can review our structure easily and pivot and move it and change it as we grow it can and that's kind of the the beauty of using git having a version control is that one point everything's in one folder and then we've need to scale that it's not feasible we can strip it down and migrate it and segment it in a
1: different way uh, so that helps us kind of uh, move forward in that sense Right. So you're not locked into a specific organization structure from day one. As your use grows and matures, you can say, you know, we had everything in a, one giant repository. That doesn't really work for us yeah. anymore. It's time to take the networking functions and move those into their own repository and set up permissions and workflows that are specific to that networking component. Because maybe, you know, depending on how you, how you have the permission set up, I don't want someone on the web team to be able to push a change to the networking config and they could do that Correct. when it was all in one repository.
0: But maybe you do, but maybe you do. So, so (laughs) there's, there's different ways that there's, there's a lot of things we could talk about here with this, this organizational thing. So one is, okay, Ned, you just broke it up along uh, like technology silos, like, like the, the web is a thing and networks a thing and those are different things. And so maybe we have different repos organized that way. Okay, so one rabbit hole you could go down is let's say we do that and we put networking into its own repository. Well then, now within that networking repo, you've got a bunch of different functions that network devices do. Uh, You've got load balancers do load balancer things. You've got everybody that does NTP probably. You've got some devices that are doing routing configurations. Do you begin to break into sub repos under there per function within the network or do you manage devices as each device treated as a monolith where whatever its configuration is what it is, and you've got this one big monster configuration for per device that you're managing. That's a consideration. Yet another, and I'm not saying I know what the right answer is. I don't. There's just a lot of ways to think about this. Another way to think about it is, what if you want to think about your repos as enabling an application to be deployed? And the application, as you deploy, it needs to have certain security parameters. And so there's some security stuff that's out there and needs to have certain network capabilities. And so you've got networking functionality that's got to be deployed alongside that application. And so when you build your repo around what an app needs and it's app-centric as opposed to siloed by technology, I think that's another way to, mm-hmm. to go. And Seb, I don't know if you have insights here, are what you've seen different folks try? I've
2: seen both to be, honest. I've seen the whole app centric approach where I've seen customers focus on the app and, and have that repo call another repo that has another module for a networking device, a load balancer in that state. But I've also seen this separation of, we separate infrastructure as code and configuration management in two different things. Maybe we use Terraform to spin up the infrastructure and we use Ansible to manage that infrastructure itself. So that's just another kind of thing to throw into it that we can, it's, it's very customizable to the application or to the team that how are they, how they want to operate and manage um, that code.
0: Well, have you seen a way to organize a repo? That's a bad way. Like, you know, this is, it's too limiting. You're going to put yourself in a box. You don't want to do it this way.
2: I think one repo, to rule them all, one file, I think is a horrible way to organize anything. Though I've heard that google.com is one repo folder to run Google or some of their functionalities. But I, I think having everything in one folder, one repo um, is a nightmare because then you're going to be, um, you know, you're going to have, compl- gonna have n- multiple lines of code in here that might not be relative to a database engineer that needs to edit this to compared to a networking engineer or a security engineer. So limiting that scope of changes or, or limiting that scope of potentially breaking other components is critical I find in the space.
1: So we talked we talked about version control and you mentioned a couple tools but let, let's dig into some of those tools that you'll be using to deploy this infrastructure as code. Do you have just a general recommended set of tools to actually make that push to deploy or manage infrastructure? Is there a standard stack that you prefer to use? If for me my, the standard stack has
2: evolved throughout the years to be honest from running Python, Ansible, Chef, Puppet Uh, Now Terraform, I prefer Terraform because the biggest reason actually is the state file. I love that I can have the entire state of my infrastructure in a file that I can read, document, put it into another tool that gives me a document, gives me a diagram of how it is. So when I'm building out infrastructure that supports this whole multi-cloud premise, I would use Terraform to do that. And my second choice after that would be Ansible, to be honest, because I've worked on both depending on the client and depending on their knowledge and organization. But I'm a big fan of Terraform over any other thing right now.
1: Yeah, I suppose the biggest challenge with using Terraform for everything is you're reliant on there being a provider and an API Mm -hmm. (laughs) to interact with. If you're going to be doing configuration management on something that doesn't have an API available, is that where you would hand that off to something like Ansible to do that task?
2: Yeah, 100%. I'd hand it off to Ansible. I, I always found ways around executing like NetMiko through Terraform or running something else to hit a legacy device. But pretty much if I can't do it with Terraform, I would move down to Ansible and have these tools work together because I've seen many organizations that use both and they're super successful at it from deploying infrastructure, Terraform, config changes or updates to you know an OS. They used Ansible. So it's been successful for them.
0: Now, you've mentioned Terraform. You've mentioned Ansible, which mm-hmm. I, I look at as um, uh, they, they can work with anything. But what about mm-hmm. like, cloud formation uh, templates arm templates the more cloud specific tools to uh, to stand up infrastructure
2: that depends on the environment or the organization i've seen a lot of customers that start down the cloud formation route then later on the executive team says well you have a multi cloud strategy how can i do cloud formation now i have to do an arm or i have to do something in gcp and they typically move towards Terraform. What I've seen in that space, it's it's kind of that, that multi-cloud moving towards that multi-cloud world is we need a central way of doing it. And CloudFormation template can't solve all my problems. Though Terraform is not perfect, right? There's issues with it, but understanding the fundamentals of all those products can help me kind of build a, a solution that I need.
0: Yeah. And I guess if right. I go that route, I look at What's available to me with public cloud, I have more more mm-hmm. choices of tooling versus if I'm dealing with physical on-premises devices, you would recommend, it sounds like, narrowing the tool set. Don't use one thing for on-premises and another thing for public cloud if you don't have to. Well, my
2: preference would be to have the same tool for on-prem and public cloud, and It'd revolve around kind of the headaches of managing different tools can be expensive and can lead to more headaches down the road from process and workflows. My ultimate goal would be to build a platform or tool that allows the end users um to let the infrastructure automation or workflows be built for those platforms. Like if I have a, a router or a database or the Kubernetes service that works or even OpenShift that works uh, on-prem or in the cloud, um, from a client or a user end perspective, I don't really care what the underlying technology is. I want to give you a set of commands or a set of a catalog item of what I want you to change and then use those tool sets that you have, be it Terraform or Ansible or CloudFormation all combined to figure out how that workflow works and orchestrate those changes, be it through whatever tool sets you have, but limit it so you don't have to, you know, manage all these different uh, versions of Terraform or versions of Ansible, or it it can get a nightmare in that space too. Uh,
0: For people that have maybe caught some of this news with HashiCorp licensing changes and all that stuff, which has been mentioned in the the media quite a lot Mm -hmm. lately as we're recording this here in uh, September, 2023, Is there any reason you'd steer people away from Terraform or you have any concerns about any of that kerfuffle that is going on? (laughs) I,
2: I generally don't have any concerns about it. Um, They've renamed it to open tofu this morning. Um, In the space that I'm in dealing with enterprise customers, um, an enterprise customer wants a throat to choke, to be honest. Mm That if something goes wrong, they pay for that support in that space to yep. solve a salute or to solve a solution to a problem they have. Um, so I'll continuously use o- Terraform, open source, um, but I generally don't even play with the open source products. I play with enterprise products uh, because yep. that's the you know the bubble. That's that's where I am helping customers out. Um so yeah there's noise in that and the uh, customers will use open tofu or uh, terraform oss but there's a lot of in-betweens i guess in that uh, in the licensing thing right i don't know red hat's done it successfully right like i think isn't red hat and the same license now as terraform
0: i believe i heard that but i don't know for sure i haven't examined the licensing but i know i know a comparison was made there at least
2: yeah like I've not known an enterprise that does not use Red Hat in the infrastructure yeah. and they have yeah. to use it. Right. Like it's.
0: Yeah. 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 yeah my take on, on the whole thing was it it does affect certain people that really <laughs> needed the open source layers to stay the same because of their business model. But for the end users, those of us that just use Terraform, we can just use Terraform. It's fine.
2: Correct. Yeah. yeah. Like I get it for those businesses that used it to build whatever products they build on top of it. Yeah. It, it could be a problem. If you build a successful business, you know, and you need those features, just license it from uh, HashiCorp. And then you have a throat to choke if something goes wrong, because now you have a licensing uh, deal with them.
0: So, Seb, we've talked about version control. We've talked about uh, tools to actually push changes to infrastructure. One more set of tools that we can talk about is uh, development-related tools. So, for infrastructure as code development specifically, I'm building out whatever things dealing with API calls or state files or whatever. And I have editing and you know work I want to do there for IAC development. Is there tooling that you recommend?
2: Yeah, I spend a lot of time if I'm building uh, either a legacy product or a new product, and I'm dealing with APIs to communicate to those products. I spend a lot of time in Postman because uh, it's a nice little tool that allows me to make API calls towards a device and then get some type of JSON output, put some data in it, which then I can build some form of orchestration or even understand the fundamentals of how this product or this technology works. Cause for me, everything's fundamentals. I, I teach at a Sheridan college here uh, in Toronto and I teach fundamentals is very important that if I understand how to make an API call, I can then really take a look at other infrastructure as tools and then understand how they're doing, or even take a look at the SDKs for them if I want to dive deep into it. So Postman is is a tool I use a lot.
0: And Postman is uh, mm-hmm. there's more to it than I realized. I've only used it superficially, done some work on the website, mm-hmm. and you know done done that kind of traditional what everybody does with Postman at least when they're uh, early on with it. Apparently, there's a CLI flavor of Postman yeah. that can that can do calls. And so uh, someone was telling me some of their automation involves a container that does calls to Postman and uh, calls some of their save routines in that way. And so they can effectively execute Postman from the command line in an automated way, which I didn't know that capability was there.
2: Yeah. You can select these collections of API calls and you can actually orchestrate changes. I, I have many customers that are starting in network automation route and I've introduced them from an F5 perspective. I've done tons of F5 automation, but I'm like, hey, start with Postman. Here's my repo that I have of all my Postman code, how to update an F5 configuration cert. Start this way. So now you learn how APIs work, then move on. Then, you know, get a better VS code, get better editor like VS code. Don't edit stuff in Notepad um, and, and utilize those tools because it's going to help you. Like I love VS code as another tool that has built-in extensions already built into it um, that I used. Like, for example, a Git lens that uh, lets me kind of quickly see a glimpse when and why and whom changed or who changed the line of code inside of this code block or syntax checkers. And there's Ansible, Python, Terraform, so many that will automatically, you know, put the right tabs in the YAML file for me because it's annoying if I put a space or so I don't have it tabbed appropriately, right? (laughs) I want those tools. I want to use it. I want to build stuff quicker, right? Even Copilot, right? uses AI to generate code. And the best thing I love about Copilot, it's not the, the thing is great, but it does comments for me, which I love. I love that it builds comments for me. This Mm. code did this. I'm like, amazing. Write that comment so
0: I know. and, And I find that so useful. That's a chat GPT feature. I wasn't aware was a thing yes. that I had never, I've been using it increasingly more and more, but mm-hmm. that's not an application I'd thought of. That's really interesting.
2: Yeah. Like I said, like I would put my code into chat GPT, like lab code because I don't recommend using ChatGPT in the enterprise because I'm sure they're grabbing the data from you, but I've put my own lab code inside of ChatGPT, GPT. And I'm like, give me comment, everything I want to, I want you to comment everything. So it looks nice and I understand it because I've written tons of playbooks, Terraform code. And I'm like, how did I do this? I'm like, I don't know. It just worked. Like, Whatever. <laughs> i <I've> spent <laughs>
0: so much time investing in commenting in my Python code because if I, if it's six months, but since I've looked at it, it's like, wow, I wrote that. I am impressed with yes. me. I have no idea what this does. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Comments have got to tell me the story. Yeah. Be kind
1: to your future. Yeah. self. Yes.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and for like other lab stuff, I use Docker a lot. I use Docker and I use Container Lab. Have mm-hmm. you ever used Container Lab that uh, I do a lot of network infrastructure automation? And this allows me to spin up network devices in a Docker on my laptop, uh, be it a Cisco device, a Pan, Arista, or whatever I want in a quick way for me to run some Terraform Ansible code to validate if that works.
0: Yeah, Container Lab is, uh, that's an open source project that's sponsored mm-hmm. by Nokia, I believe, right? Yep. You talk yeah. about that one that, uh, that exactly. Dolen that's the one Sinisprime. i've
2: been I've been yeah. loving what they're doing in the space because it makes it so easy for me to spin things up.
0: Um, yeah, it's been getting a lot of love. i, I It's mm-hmm. one of those things I need to spend some time with in my own lab and haven't gotten to yet. but container labs very high on the list, yeah mm-hmm.
2: yeah, those would be it. Like and especially with Docker, you can spin up the uh, you know terraform ansible modules and uh, get. Uh, Um, Ansible Tower deployed in it or Ansible uh, AWX project, which is the open source version of Tower. My whole goal is to emulate what my clients have in my lab, right? It always works in my lab, right? Um, (laughs) It never works in production. Um, So, but it's a good step to learn and educate yourself on those fundamentals when you are ready to kind of move into production. So,
0: which Which kind of takes me to uh to a last question, seb. um so i'm I'm an engineer, infrastructure engineer uh, who's getting into network automation or infrastructure as code, uh, automating my cloud environments, whatever it is. I'm struggling to get started a little bit. Is there a class I can take or a book I should read that's going to help? or is it just get in the lab and start messing with stuff and kind of get the vibe that way?
2: So there are lots of books, lots of udemy courses. Ned's got some great ones that I started watching his things. You know, watching tons of YouTube videos on how to do things is a great way to get started. The way I've found being in the enterprise space um, is that I will actually, if I'm trying to automate a specific type of device, I'm going to go to the vendor and I'm going to ask them, um, Hmm. can I get access to your device? 99% of the time, they're going to have a trial. 99% of the time, they already have a full dev website You know, deployed on how you can orchestrate this. You go to Cisco DevNet, they have all the modules for Ansible, Terraform, Puppet Chef that you can play around with. Um, You go to HashiCorp, they have a development website that within the browser, you don't have to do anything. Within the browser, you can already orchestrate and automate and test in their environment. So if you're an enterprise into, you know, you're working the enterprise, talk to those teams that you're you know, your sales reps, your sales engineers, they'll have free information for you because one, they want you to consume their stuff, All right, The more you consume, the more you orchestrate their things, and then you're locked into this vendor lock thing and you're not going to, you know, get away with it, right? So they want- Don't to, get they me started, but yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> they want your data. So it's just pick a technology, pick something that you want to solve go on YouTube. I've found a lot of my resources on YouTube from people. Follow people on, you know, the Twitter, LinkedIn uh, is huge. I find on LinkedIn and search. If you have an idea of what you want to do, search it through GitHub first, because somebody's created it. Somebody's developed something close to what you think you will need. Um and 90% of the time or 99% of the time, they're going to give you your code. That's why it's on GitHub. That's why it's open. That's why it's public. Fork the code, use it, contribute to code, and kind of grow yourself as an individual by kind of adding more layers into your, um, more knowledge really into your uh, kind of brand as a person.
0: Yeah. So, Seb, if people want to follow you, reach out and ask some questions. How can they do that?
2: The best place is LinkedIn. If you just search for me, Sebastian Maniak, I love using LinkedIn. You can go to my website maniac.io, where I just post a lot of my blogs on how to on how to guides, uh, and of course I'm on Twitter at sebi corp. Um, if you want to follow me there, but mostly I'm on LinkedIn, uh, engaging with uh, a lot of my fellow coworkers.
0: All right, so now you know how to follow Seb and that uh, maniac that's spelled uh, like maniac but with a k exactly yes. m a n i a k dot i o maniac dot i o and uh, and follow Seb and uh, on all the socials and uh, thanks Seb for uh, being on Day Two Cloud today much appreciated virtual high fives to you out there in the audience for tuning in all the way to the end if you have suggestions for future shows. Ned and I would love to hear those. You can hit us up on LinkedIn or fill out the request form at day2cloud.io. Day2Cloud is part of the Packet Pushers network of podcasts, blogs, videos, newsletters, and more designed for your professional career development. It's all free for you. No login required. Our sponsors pay the bills so you don't have to, and we respect your privacy. Until then, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans.